People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Kidney Talk. Yes, we're going to be talking about finding alternative solutions for organ donation, a patient's perspective. And we have a special guest, Sally Sattel, today. Um, how we learned about her, she wrote an article in the for New the York, York Times. Times. Right. Yes, it was, it was so a fabulous big article. Time. She's big time. There's no fooling around on this one. Sally Sattel, New York Times op-ed writer. You know, because there is over 92,000 people waiting for a transplant. So it is so important that and you know we what? help get this message out. And one. It's me. I'm the one. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that's interesting, you heard the news. I told you after the PEP training, three of the people who were at the PEP training have gotten transplanted. I think the secret to getting transplanted is coming to PEP training. Now, explain what PEP is for people oh, who yes, don't know. Oh, yes, I guess it's true. Um, PEP is the Patients Educating Patients and Professional Program um, of the Renal Support Network. It's where we took 20 patients from across the country and gave them four days of speaker training, and they're out giving presentations across the country. And you know what? I've heard them, and they are absolutely wonderful, inspiring, funny, heartfelt, and it, it was it's just great to hear their stories. And we are so lucky because three of them, Three of them since we filmed the commercial for the PEP training in January, three of them now has ha- have had kidney transplants. Yeah, Sherry, Tiffany, and Claudie. And one thing that's really interesting about Claudie, he's been on dialysis for 20 years 20 and years decided and to get a, a transplant. transplant. Oh, he actually decided to because I think he could have got one a lot sooner, but he actually opted to get a transplant. And they're all doing well, I'm happy to report, which I'm so excited. I, I know it's been a struggle for a couple of them. A couple of weeks out, you know, things didn't go well, but they're all working well, and um, they are now joining what's called the Urinators. You know, the the group, the Urinators. The Urinator Club. That's great. (laughs) That's great. You know, also a man contacted us by the name of Charles, and he wants to be a guest on our show in the near future. He's getting ready to celebrate his 35th year anniversary of his kidney transplant. I know. Can you imagine 35 years? 35 years with somebody else's kidney. One kidney, right? Yes, one kidney. That is so inspiring. So we'll definitely have him on. As a guest, and we'll have to make sure we sing happy birthday or I always say happy P-Day. I don't know. That's kind of weird. But um, instead of happy B-Day, yeah, happy P-Day. I P-day. don't think happy P-Day <laughs> is quite appropriate. Oh, well, you know, hey, um, I think that's a good word. All right. Well, we'll ask Sally Sattel. You know, we'll, we'll ask Sally Sattel because she's a psychiatrist and so she'll see what kind of weird things are going on in your head. Yes. Well, we have with us today Sally Sattel. She's a psychiatrist and resident scholar of the American Enterprise Institute. She is the author of numerous articles and books. The most recent is titled One Nation Under Therapy, How the Helping Culture is Eroding Self-Reliance. Now, Sally says that as a society, we've become so focused on being in touch with our feelings and expressing them that we are actually at the risk of losing our natural abilities to cope with life challenges. I have that problem sometimes. (laughs) And life does throw up some challenges. And Sally knows that. Sally is a kidney patient and she's had challenges. And she didn't let having kidney disease 
stop her in any way at all. And she went out and got a kidney almost almost immediately. And we're going to hear her story when we come right back. Now, tell us about, you know, your history with kidney disease. Oh, well, I uh, had one of these uh, surprises. I I didn't even know that I had it. Uh, In August of 2004, I went to my doctor just for a routine checkup, and he did a blood test, and sure enough, um, I had a creatinine of 5 and a GFR of 13, and uh, you can imagine what happened after that. That must have been really frightening. I mean, had you ever heard about kidney disease or? Well, yeah. Well, I went to medical school, and uh, even though I was a, I did a residency and uh, in psychiatry and became a psychiatrist. Uh, you, you know, when one does an internship, that's very much general medicine, and uh, I, I was really shocked. I remember patients coming into the emergency room with uh, creatinines of five and six and seven, and they were on dialysis, and and. Frankly, that is something that has always terrified me. Um, the thought of, you know, being on a machine, admittedly a life-saving one, but, you know, for so many hours a day, I, I just couldn't. That, that was just the most depressing and frightening part of it. And I never felt sick, so uh, it was also unbelievable. Right. It's kind of hard to believe. Yeah. So, so did you go through fear or anger or grief? or? No, I don't do that. No. <laughs> no, I just went through, I got to find a donor because I just did not want to be on dialysis. And, uh, you know, the, the data on living donation, um, a kidney from a, a living donor is, um, all things being equal, as much is, is better than a cadaver donor, although, of course, if I could have gotten the latter uh, quickly without having had to go on dialysis, I might have done that as well. But I was thinking, well, one of my friends will step forward. <laughs> how did you How did you go about finding your donor? Did you, you know, ask your friends? No, I didn't. It's really interesting. Uh, as uh, if may I skip to the end and say it, it obviously had a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend who I was not that close with, although now you can imagine we're <laughs> we're extremely um, close, and I, I love her. Uh, but someone who I'd known since 1997. Uh, and had only seen maybe five or six times, was just told by a third party that um, I was looking for a donor, and she ultimately came forward, thank goodness. But before she did, that happened in, actually that happened in January, and the transplant was in March of 2006. But before she did, I went through what I assume is a very typical story of um, people saying they they would do it, look into it, you know, get cold feet, um, friend whose husband didn't want her to do it, and uh, I couldn't expect her to get divorced over it. Um, another friend who, um, and some, of course, who had disqualifying uh, medical problems. But uh, but the hardest part was a, a good handful, maybe three people who, who insisted they were going to do it and um, really dragged their feet. And whenever I would question them in the most gentle way, because it's so awkward. You know? Yeah, it is kind of an awkward Oh, God, thing. you yeah. know, have you gotten this yet? Did you do that yet? Can I drive you here? This, you know? and, I really need your kidney. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's a subtext. And, um, 
And they'd still say, no, 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 I'm going to do it. And, you know, finally, after months, I just forgot about them. But that, those are the people I, I don't mean to sound mean-spirited, but I can't help but hold personally a grudge. I don't try to show it. You know, i just cordial to them. But, but that kind of, you know, um, stringing someone along is really not good. I, I know they meant well, but that's really ill-considered. It's just better to tell you up front that they're not willing to do this instead of, you know, making it more difficult well, in processes. Do you think that would be a better solution? Oh, of course. Yeah, although I do think these people might have actually thought for a while they, they might want to do it. Actually, a friend uh, or another of the many new friends I've met since I've been writing about this and people have been calling in to me or emailing me, uh, a woman I met had a pretty good idea. She had a third party. People knew she needed a kidney, and they called uh, when they said to her, "I might be interested." She said, "I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk to you about it. You call Mary and work it through with her, because she knew that she would be way too upset if she had to deal with people backing in, coming out, you know." And so the third party person actually screened them for for their, you know, commitment to this, which which is an interesting approach. But you asked me at first if I had asked anyone, and I never asked anyone, which may have. Well, again, it's all worked out fine, but um, I may have been driven to that if, if it came to it. But I never asked. I would just tell people kind of in the course of conversation, you know, how are you? What's up? How are the kids? How's the dog? Oh, you need a kidney. And a number of them would say, let me, you know, think about it. But I never asked anyone. And also, I wasn't sick. And I, I think that if I were on dialysis or if I looked like hell, if I looked like Richard Lewis on, you know, on the Larry David show, if you've been watching that on HBO, yes, Curb Your Enthusiasm, I think if I had rings under my eyes and I was hunched over and, and you know, thinning, I think people would have, seen, you know, maybe would have been more impressed by the gravity of it. Mm-hmm. But when you look okay and you're walking around, I could almost see how they might not have taken it that seriously. So your feelings towards these other people really have, you you have a different, not feelings, but you have a different perspective on these other people now that that you have asked. Yeah, I do. I do. Well, well, as you wrote about, uh, you know, there is a lot of pressure not to give. Well, uh, Virginia, my donor wrote about that, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a uh, lot of pressure, you know, to try to talk people out of it. Well, that's uh, why I didn't tell anyone I knew uh, who my donor was probably going to be that a month before it happened. I was pretty sure it was going to be Virginia and who all my friends know because we're all in the same circle. And I made sure I didn't tell anyone who it was because I was terrified someone would call her up and get to her. Now, she's not that kind of person. In fact, she said the most wonderful thing uh, to someone who tried to dissuade her. She said, what kind of person do you think I am if I would back out after I made this promise? And uh, Which, of course, is what, frankly, anyone should say. But you can't help but get nervous that somehow someone will make some kind of argument that's persuasive and and she would change her mind. Although, again, she's such a she's such a, a smart and forceful person that probably wouldn't have ever happened. But still, <laughs> you never know. Was it pretty easy for her the recovery process? It was, uh, you know, I wish I could. I wish you were talking to her because it's so self-serving for me to say this. Right. She well, was in two days, or was it three? But I remember on the second day, I was still in the ICU. She bopped in with her husband in her street clothes. And um, she was out on the third day, and she took a plane back to Dallas on the um, fifth day. And, you know, she doesn't, I mean, she doesn't work construction. <laughs> she has a job as a writer. So, admittedly, it's easier for someone with that kind of a job to say they're back at work in a week. But she was, of course. Um, if, she, if she had a, a job that required, you know, a lot of ac- activity, clearly she couldn't have been back to work that quickly. But 
Yeah, and she'll tell you. And the scars are minimal. You know, it's done lap- laparoscopically. Yeah, laparoscopically, and, yeah. And, uh, and she's written about this. In fact, I can put in a plug for her blog. <laughs> her name is Virginia Postrel, and her blog is dynamist.com. How do you spell that? Yeah, D-Y-N-A-M-I-S-T.com. And uh, she writes about a lot of things, about economics, about style and culture and uh, but she also has some entries on our adventure <laughs> and many art- a number of articles that she's written, one in Forbes, one in the L.A. Times, about, about changing p- transplant policy, which is something we're both interested in. Right. Now, Sally, before you got your transplant, uh, you had an experience with MatchingDonors.com. <laughs> Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I was just going to mention that. I did leave out. That was a big, kind of big part of this. Yes, I went on Matching Donors. I think I found out about it through... Uh, the Harvard University medical letter or some publication. Well, uh, they charge you, right? Excuse me? They charge you money for that, right? Oh, uh, yeah, but they'll waive the fee if you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the criticisms against them are just, well, frankly, absurd. You know, they will waive the fee, and I think they offer a great service. Now, the person that, that I thought was going to be my donor, and I was really quite convinced it was this gentleman he ended up not doing it. Um, I certainly don't blame matchingdonors.com because all my other friends, <laughs> practically with one exception, <laughs> ended up not doing it. I should say I have no siblings or um, close family, so that's why I didn't uh, approach them. Of course, most people would approach them first. So this, this man uh, did back out, and frankly, I'm a little, you know, he didn't do it in the most gracious way. He, he uh I do believe that he got very busy in his job, and I think that was the real reason. I don't, I don't think he got cold feet for what it's worth, but he also dragged it on a little bit. And finally, the transplant coordinator, this wonderful woman I worked with at the Washington Hospital Center, she called him up and said, you know, Joe, not his real name, although <laughs> that wouldn't matter, but um, are you going to do this or not? And then by the time that phone call was over, she said, he's out. But I could never really say, you know, What's happening here? I just tried to say, well, they really need the test results and this and that. So my involvement with him started, I think, at the end of October, and he was very communicative at first and very very solicitous, but also not very probing, and I really appreciated that. He didn't want to know about my personal life and Really didn't, he didn't I, want to become your best friend. No, and and that was one of my, you know, believe me, I didn't want. I wanted to go to a vending machine. I, I didn't want. <laughs> I didn't want the baggage that comes along with this. And uh, and I that, that was why I liked him so much. He he was an older man, you know, in his sixties, mature, and um, and didn't seem like you know there would be strange psychological entanglements. But then by the end of by early December, it was clear he was just not following through, um, and so we dropped him and. I really panicked, but thank goodness, my Virginia, uh, just about that time, had heard about my problem, as I mentioned, from this mutual friend, and she said, right away, I'll do it. Well, we have to take a quick break, Sally, but when we come back, we would like to talk to you about your views on addressing some of the organ donation shortage. So sure. um, we'll be right back in a couple minutes with Sally Sattel. My name is Jenny Huey. There is a critical shortage of organs. 91,000 people are waiting for a transplant. I am one of those people waiting for a kidney like many of you listening. 
I wait for my transplant coordinator to call me with the good news, that they have a kidney for me. Other young women my age are waiting for that special someone who they met online at that dating website, Match.com, to call. And I'm waiting for the right cross-match. It is important that we all inform our friends, family, and co-workers about the importance of becoming a donor and to make sure they sign a donor card. Also, they need to discuss this very important decision with their family. We all need to bring awareness to the public about the importance of giving the gift of life so I can continue on with my life, dialysis-free, and have guys waiting patiently by the phone for me. Honey, we never go anywhere. What are you talking about? We just came back from the grocery store. I thought we had a great time squeezing the tomatoes and produce. I know someplace more exciting than squeezing tomatoes. The breakfast cereal aisle? The city of brotherly love. Oh, honey, I don't even like your brother. Philadelphia. Renal Support Network is holding their big national patient meeting. With you being on dialysis, I figure this would be a great place for us to mingle with other patients and healthcare professionals that are experiencing the same kind of challenges we do. There's going to be panelists from all over the country, hundreds of patients, fun, and even games. An illness is too demanding when you don't have hope. Tell me about it. It's this October 5th through the 7th in Philadelphia. They even will have dialysis services available for you for the trip. I think this is just perfect to help you empower yourself about decisions on your own care and treatments. What do you say? Well, let's see. A fun convention in a fun city with other people and healthcare professionals exchanging knowledge and ideas and giving us hope in living with my kidney disease with interesting speakers, activities, and even games. Or a trip to the half-price dented can section at the Food King. Hmm. For more information, call Renal Support Network at 818-543-0896 or go to their website at rsnhope.org. Well, we're back with Sally Sattel, and you wrote a great op-ed piece in the New York Times addressing organ donation. You say that relying solely on altruism isn't enough. We need to look at incentives, i.e., we need to look at incentives like tax breaks, guaranteed health insurance, college scholarships for their children, deposits in their retirement accounts. Can you tell us a little bit about your views on this subject? Oh, sure. I think, uh, and certainly I'm not alone. In fact, there seems to be a growing chorus of uh, transplant professionals and economists, lawyers and ethicists who realize that although altruism is a beautiful thing and it works very well as private policy, I mean, I benefited from it, that it's just insufficient as public policy. And as you know, the list is getting longer every year and the donations, they're not flat, but they're definitely not keeping up with um, the, certainly the rate of increase is not as good and even if it even if it were the absolute difference between the numbers of kidneys uh, I'm focusing on kidneys here it's true for all organs but especially for kidneys the number of kidneys needed you know that 66,000 of the 92,000 people on the UNOS list and only you know about 16,000 people last year got a transplant uh, so it's just not keeping up, and the list is expected, excuse me, the uh, time of, on the waiting list, the average amount of time that one waits, now it's about five to eight years in, in major cities, is expected to double by the year 2010. And for most people on dialysis who are, you know, have diabetes or uh, hypertension and other systemic diseases, they're not going to live 
10 years on dialysis. So a lot of the list, probably a big percentage of that list will have died before an organ even became available. As we know now, 18 people die every day anyway while waiting, and it's, it's only, it, the number, it's just clear, there's no debate over this in terms of projection. It is only going to get worse. Yeah, I know, I know that uh, I'm registered at UCLA, and, and they told me a year ago that the wait was five to seven years I, for me. Oh, I didn't know you were, uh, forgive me, I didn't know that you were uh, waiting for a kidney. Yes. Yeah, I was oh, waiting, yes. I'm waiting for a kidney, and, and Lori is a transplanter. Yes, I've had three transplants. Oh, my I last I'm talking to <laughs> You're, you're tra- talking to, to the friends, club. Uh, the club. Yes, uh, I, this is my third transplant. I waited seven years for it, oh. and it lasted a little over 16 years. So oh. I started um, back with kidney disease at age of two, so oh. I've really seen the pioneering stages. Oh, sure. Sure. Of, of transplantation, and I, I was reading um, today that it's pretty exciting that Philadelphia is looking. Uh, excuse me, Pennsylvania is uh, trying to look for some ways to incentivize companies to actually give uh, paid time off to employees who want to donate organs. Oh yeah. Um, you know anything to to help. Um, right. I, I do agree with you in in so many ways that it's. We have to look for some alternative ways, and uh, you know, if you look at some of the policies overseas about the opting in versus opting out policies, and uh, their numbers are much higher because it's an out opting out policy uh, to say that you want to be an organ donor. I know a news program just recently uh, it did an article on uh, China and how they were selling these. Oh articles. well, that yeah, that's such bad PR. I know, <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Did, did you see that article? Um, you mean the CNN? Buddy? The CNN piece, yeah. Or, or Anderson Cooper, I think that's yeah, on that too. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's well, it's a very dramatic subject, and I mean, you know, even the, a lot of the television programs or the movies. They always portray I know, it. dirty, pretty things. But, yes. you know, the, the moral of the black markets, which do exist, and um, yeah, actually probably do serve some people all right in terms of the recipients, but um, for the donors, you know, my goodness, uh, they I have so many of them, I'm sure, don't know what they're getting into, and then there's none or very poor follow-up care. Some get their the money ripped. I mean, it's a nightmare. But the moral of the story is not that, not that markets are bad, but but that are but that a this is what people are doing because our current system has failed, and b this is why you need a regulated market, a real market, not a black right. market. Yeah, there's a whole black market too for transplant medications, uh, too. Um, that so that um, yeah, a friend of mine, you know, is always uh, contacting. People are contacting him because. Uh, they can't afford the transplant meds. And so, yeah, when there's a need, um, yeah. people are going to try to fill it. Yes, and, and instead of jumping on these desperate people who are doing this, look to the root of why they, what is the, what is the cause of their desperation? And right. that's a, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the medications being so expensive, which they are, and I, I really, I feel so lucky. I have good insurance, and, and I feel so lucky I avoided dialysis, and I have this wonderful friend. And I mean, I, I, honestly, I think I had, Probably one of the best scenarios ever, but, well, anyway, I just distracted myself. I meant to comment on the medications. You know, Medicare, you must have discussed this in, mm-hmm. on your show several times, but, but has this just absolutely mysterious policy where they will pay for the transplant, pay mm-hmm. for three years, as you know, of immunodepressants, <laughs> right. and then they're finished. And I'm sure you've heard of 
uh, cases of people who literally couldn't afford the meds and had to go back on dialysis, which Medicare yes. then paid for, at a rate that is, at it's the end of the, that person's life, they would have been in enormous savings if you just want to look at this in a strictly economic way. Well, it doesn't pay for the meds. It's, yes. it's truly deranged. And I, you know, Mark McClellan, who's the head of CMS, mm-hmm. um, Center for Medical Services, is, I, you can imagine, he was just obsessed this year with Part D. Uh, he's a very a smart and compassionate man, and I just can't believe this isn't on his list of things to do, but my goodness, it's just really it, it's a, difficult. a self-defeating policy. Every year, we, um, the, uh, our organization, the Renal Support Network, we throw prom for all the teenagers with kidney disease in the country. So we get teens from all over the country who come in a large proportion from Los Angeles area. And I constantly run into that because the teens, you know, they turn 18, 19, and then they're not skilled enough to afford their illness. And they can't get the health insurance and they get the transplant. And I can say in the last six months I've had three, you know, young people call me with no, no coverage. And, you know, I try to help them find services or you know, look, we'll find your medication, we'll find you what you need. But it is, it's very frustrating because, you know, you have to be an expert at navigating the system and getting the the different um, forms filled out to get, you know, assistance. But at the end of the day, if all of this causes them not to have their medication and reject their transplant. What is this thing with Montel Williams when I see all these ads with him saying, if you can't afford your medicine, just call this number and the pharmaceutical companies will just give you the medicine? What is that all about? I have to say, though, that the transplant meds over the last years that I've received my transplant from my first one to my third one, there's no comparison in the medications. They're getting so much better and they have less side effects. What do you think if you had a magic wand? And you were able to say, well, I want to change this policy for organ donation. What would you would be your top priority if you could have one of the things that you talk about in your article? I would change the legislation, the 1984 legislation, the National Organ Transplantation Act, which makes it a felony to give or receive compensation for an organ. Well, we're talking mainly about kidneys. Um, they're probably the safest organ to give, and obviously in the case of heart, the only, which is not even an option for, for a living donor. But um, kidneys are the most needed. They're, they're the safest to give. But in any case, the legislation would clearly apply to any, to any organ. It would just practically mean the most for kidneys. And I would just change the legislation so that one could receive what the term they use is valuable compensation, meaning anything from cash to the options you mentioned earlier, a tax credit or college tuition or money in a retirement fund or health insurance or life insurance, all, all kinds of things. Um, Do you think that would impact, though, the poor that couldn't afford well, a, a transplant? Do you think that- Well, it's not for the poor. It's, it's for the donor. So um, they were obviously they're, they're not looking for the transplant themselves. But, oh, I think uh, very likely uh, when you offer... Uh, cash incentives. It appeals to people who have less cash. <laughs> uh, but And that's a reasonable, I mean, the, the reasonable fear, of course, is some, that people will be exploited. And uh, But the answers to that uh, are, well, first off, if you ever tried to give a kidney, this is not something you can do impulsively. Uh, there are, and rightly so, uh, lots 
of tests the donor has to go through, lots of interviews, lots of making sure this is informed, that they're not ambivalent, that no one's pushing them into it. So uh, that that's that's one uh, protection. How about uh, people who are poor that need a transplant, though? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, let, let me back up. This is not a private market. I'm not talking about... Uh, like with the surrogate mother. Okay, I well, think only poor people can't hire a surrogate mother, <laughs> but a lot of rich people can. Uh, that's true. So no, no, no. This is it, it would be it would be the list essentially, and people would. I mean, this is only the grossest outlines of it, but essentially, people would sell their organ to people on the list, and who's ever next would be next. Oh, I see. So it would be the system yeah. that is in place currently. Something like But if that. somebody wanted to sell an organ, uh, they sold an organ, it would go to the person at the top of the list. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to designate it to somebody who had, had the funds. Someone who had what? I'm sorry? So, I mean, like, let's say I, want, I, I just got put on the list. I'm at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, X amount of dollars to be able to buy an organ. Oh, I can't buy myself to the top. I oh, have no, no, to no, no. I have to be on the uh, I have to to get in right. line. Yeah, okay, because, I see what you're saying. Because that is essentially that's the public list and you don't pay for it. Medicare, Medicaid or your or your insurance pays for it. Right. So, um and if you wanted to get, you know, if you had a friend who wanted to give you then he then that's what would maintain altruistic donation, which certainly no one is against. Um, in fact, one would hope these would continue, altruistic donation would continue as well. Now, some people, and I don't understand their arguments, but they say that, oh, he started paying, it would crowd out altruistic donation. Well, A, I think that's just not true. Family members <laughs> will always give, uh, you know, and friends who want to give to a friend will always do that. Uh, the, uh, getting paid is not for them. The, the, the payment option is for anonymous donation, uh, people giving to the list. And, um, and the other uh, response to that is, I don't care if the crowd's at altruistic donation, as long as the net, there's a net increase in, in donations. Just to help, yeah. I mean, as long the as numbers are organs, staggering. I yeah. don't care if they're because people got paid for them. I really don't care. The, end, the, the, the goal here is just so obvious. It's to get more organs out there and get the list down. So, Sally, how do you see the future of this? Well, I, you know, I've only been thinking about this for a few, not long, maybe since November when I first wrote my first article on this. But, um, but it, it strikes me from talking to a lot of people who've been in this field for a while and reading that um, there, more and more there is a pressure among frontline, a lot of frontline people to do, to do something. And there have been a number of articles in the American Journal of Transplantation, the other scholarly journals, uh, pushing for some kind of compensation uh, system. And uh, the President's Council on Bioethics next week is hearing a debate on it. The American Society of Transplant Surgeons has heard and is will be hearing more debates on it. In fact, the incoming president of the ASTS, um, Arthur, Dr. Arthur Matus, is a great proponent of compensating uh, vendors. They're not donors anymore. They'd be vendors. Uh, other groups, uh, UNOS, on their ethics committee is, is thinking about this. I mean, there's a lot of thought, but what is highly misleading is that some of the spokespeople people, uh, for example, someone named, if you follow this, these uh, debates, you'll hear the name Dr. Uh, Frank Delmonico, 
who is a Harvard transplant surgeon, although I don't believe he's transplanted anyone in quite a while. He's kind of a professional lobbyist now for the National Kidney Foundation and other groups. He is adamantly against this. It, it strikes me like for almost religious reasons, but, but he just believes that there is something fundamentally morally wrong with selling an organ, and he's entitled to that opinion. But he is always out there. Uh, he's typically quoted in these articles. He testifies before Congress, and he gives, kind of gives a misleading um, impression of what the professional organizations think. You wouldn't know that there's so much interest in this and, and so much debate, but because he's on the front lines, he you know gets out there with, no, this is unacceptable, and that's a little misleading, and so I'm actually working with, with uh, networking with uh, the rank-and-file nephrologists and uh, transplant surgeons who really should speak out more. Actually, I was very surprised that the National Kidney Foundation is is so adamantly against at least a pilot project, for heaven's sakes, for incentives. And uh, in fact, we had a panel here at the American Enterprise Institute last week on the issue of uh, compensating people, and and the National Kidney Foundation actually wrote a letter to my boss of my think tank, basically telling us, you know, this problem has been resolved. We don't see any reason for the AEI having a conference on this. And well, I think I think too that one of the things that that was interesting to me as a, a patient advocate myself is. There was a big trend, and I think it's still continuing, is patients or family members putting up bulletin boards off the highway saying, we need an organ. And this was brought to my attention, and they're like, you know, you need to criticize these people or whatever, uh, you know, because this is wrong. And I said, said, look, I said, you know, the will to survive is so strong that you will do anything. That's a form of advocacy. I said, if somebody's, you know, putting a bulletin board up because their daughter needs a transplant or their spouse or them themselves need a transplant, I said, I see it is is actually one of the tools that makes you survive. Is well, you're actively trying to find your own solution. Of well, that's the China syndrome again. Why are people going to China? Why are people putting up these bulletin boards? Why are they going on matching donors? Because the system has failed. And the idea that you would sit by passively and wait your turn in a failed system is is an outrage to me. I mean, right. this kind of enforced passivity. Now, admittedly, if the system were fair and worked, uh, well, then there'd be no need for this kind of thing. But uh, to me, all bets are off. If you're going to force people into an unfair system, then to criticize someone, as you say, for literally trying to save their life is <laughs> incredibly, I mean, I, I'm speechless well, at, at how un, unfair and unfeeling and, and, and how misplaced your anger you should or, or your criticism. You should focus, again, your efforts at let's fix the system so people don't have to do this. Right. Well, and, so, you know, and Stephen said earlier, I mean, you said earlier that uh, you couldn't ask people for a transplant. And, you know, Stephen's waiting for a kidney transplant. So I always tell him that I'll ask for him. <laughs> and, well, I might have uh, asked. I might have asked if you got to that. But. Well, you know, it's because I, I have two sons, you know, and I, and I haven't even thought of asking them, you know, and I just would never do that. It's because such a hard thing to do. It, it just is. And, you know, myself being a diabetic, and I know it's uh, hereditary, and what if they become a diabetic and, you know, and then they need a kidney? So I, I, so I don't want to do that. Now, what do you think about the, uh, the new popular thing of, of three-way kidney transplants? You know, I, will you donate to somebody that matches somebody than if they have somebody? You know what I'm talking about? You know, my attitude is um, let a thousand organs bloom. I mean, 
presume consent doesn't bother me, although I frankly think it would be very unpopular in this country from what I've, I've read, although theoretically I'm in, certainly in favor of it. I'm in favor of life shares even, where you know you get priority if you agree to donate your organs, even if in right. my case the kidney would probably be useless. But um, I'm in favor of what you mentioned, three-way. I'm in favor of everything. Yeah, just just get, get more started. organs out there. Right, exactly. Well, gosh, we really thank you for touching on this subject. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful controversial subject and we hope we get more organ donors to, to donate you know yeah. Yeah. And awareness I mean I think the thing that's wonderful that it is creating a debate and it's a healthy debate um, in this country to start talking about solutions uh, to this problem and you know bringing all views to the table uh, the patient's perspective the healthcare professionals perspective the um, elected officials perspective um, to really bring it all on the table so that we can discuss solutions that work for, you know, at least the majority of people or, or look for new solutions because I agree with you, the list is getting longer. And uh, and I also think that we need to look for incentives to, you know, for the deceased donors. And, oh, uh, for that too. Yeah, we didn't have that. We didn't yeah, everything, everything. Although, yeah. as you sure you've discussed on the show, even if every eligible cadaver you know, it was harvested, it wouldn't be enough, but it would help. It would help. It would be and very much help, yeah. Yeah, so just to, to look for different ways to try to solve this problem. Uh, Sally, do you have a website with uh, information about what you were talking about and all your, your articles and stuff? Yeah, it's called sallysattelmd.com, all in word. Okay, and that's S-A-L-L-Y-S-A-T-E-L. MD.com. MD.com. Okay. Okay, and we'll list that on our site. And well, thank you so much. And good luck to you guys. Well, now that I have mastered Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers, how many pickled peppers did Peter Piper pick? Let's see what my next challenge will be. It's in here somewhere. Hmm. Say this three times fast. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. Now if I only knew what that means. A fistula should be your first choice for your dialysis access. It says here, less infection and less hospitalizations. That's good. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Lasts longer. Some patients have had their fistula for more than 30 years? Oy. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. Fistula first feels fantastic for future fitness. For more information, please visit fistulafirst.org. Do it now. You know, we have to think out of the box about organ donation because, you know, the, the demand is increasing. And, you know, as you know, I mean, you've been told that the list is five to seven years. Right. For a and there's got to be other ways. And, you know, you've got to be proactive in your own care. And, and I you think, just can't sit back and wait for the five to seven years to come. And 
I think, you know, we need to discuss this issue throughout the country with our legislators, with our family members, with our colleagues, and have a debate because, um, you know, as we've stated before, transplantation works, and the more uh, people need transplants, the more the demand is going to be, and the list just isn't reflecting the need. I think the key word is debate because I love to debate you. Yes, because I always win, of course. Right. We, 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 you know, <laughs> when we're off the air, we constantly scream at each other and debate. We... You know, she's a, a political, you know, she's a big Rush Limbaugh type oh, person. Please. I'm just joking. Oh, my God. I'm just joking, I everyone. like Keith Oberman. Keith Oberman. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, um, you know, if you want to share a suggestion, idea, or a thought for a show in the future, you can call us at 866-379-HOPE. 866-379-4673 and leave us a voicemail. Um, you know, possibly we'll play it on the air in the future. It's so important that we just talk about this issue. And I think it's great to have a healthy debate. Well, if you'd like to send us an idea, thought, or comment, you can send us an email at kidneytalk at rsnhope.org. Or you can leave us a, a voicemail at 866-379-HOPE. That's 866-379-4673. And if we put you on the air, you win... Well, we have a kidney talk mug and a pen. That's so, it. I'm sorry, um, folks. It's the same thing as it was and, last week. And, you know, if you leave us a voicemail, remember to leave us a phone number or email or contact information so we know where to send the mug. Because we're kidney patients. We're not psychic. We don't know where you live. <laughs> Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 